Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hello leaders, this is Lily and today we have the honor of having Mike Newman with us. Mike cares about people and their future. Investing over 34 years into students and staff in public education. His goal-oriented and leadership-focused outlook on life and his passion for helping others reach their potential and goals led him to become a founding partner in the John Maxwell team. He will provide you with far more than theory and concepts. He is the educational leader and influential communicator who has developed effective solutions to organizational challenges. Mike has real-life experience practicing what he teaches. He is on the forefront in developing people and their leadership. He is a certified speaker, trainer, and coach with the John Maxwell team and Personality Insights. He holds a master's degree in education from Oregon State University and earned his superintendent credentials at Seattle University. Mike's passion is for developing current and future leaders to close the leadership gap within our schools and communities. He is available to assist you in making a difference in your school, district, and community. For more information, go to Innovations in Leadership. Dot com. Okay, so welcome, Mike. Uh, we are so happy to have you on our podcast. So as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I'm excited uh, to be here today, Lily. And, and you know, the, the thing that uh, I really appreciate about, uh, you know, the the part that we're doing in master leadership is is this part about being able to answer some questions. You've crafted some great questions, and I've spent some time thinking through those, and I think that we're going to have a great discussion today. You and I are, and our listeners are going to gain tremendous amount of information from us and hopefully some insights into keys that have helped me be a successful leader in my life. Okay, so let's begin. What inspired you, Mike, to choose educational leadership as a career path? That's a great question because I think that, that we have to go back in our lives many times to figure out why it is that we do what we do. I look back and I think about, you know, the things that occurred to me and happened in my life are things that put me on a leadership journey. In fact, my first leadership opportunity came when I was a sophomore in high school and uh, had uh, these two uh, girls that I knew come up to me and say, hey, we think you should run for student body president. I thought, I don't want to do that. I just want to go to school and hang out and play ball. <laughs> but in that then, I, I realized through that experience, and as a sophomore was elected as a student body president in high school that had never happened before, uh, what what I realized was that sometimes with leadership, you have to be the willing person to step up. So the educational leadership path then became just steps along the journey. 
I originally wanted to be an architect and a professional baseball player and an accountant, and I wanted to coach. And, and then as I moved into post-secondary education into college, I began to realize that, you know what, teaching is exactly what I want to do because I can do all of those things. So I became mm-hmm. a teacher, and, uh, and then I had a person uh, come to me one day, and uh, he was an administrator and says, Mike, you need to, you need to figure out what, how you can share what you do with others. And that was a first step, really, in saying, you know, what, what, what I have to offer to kids in education is beyond just my classroom. And that was the first step in that uh, leadership journey and in that career path that led me down to, you know, today where I'm completed my fifth week, the um, chief business officer in the Kent School District, which is mm-hmm. the fourth largest school district in the state of Washington. It's probably small compared to East Coast School District, but it's the fourth largest mm-hmm. school district. But educational leadership, you know, really came to me through people who mentored me along the way. And that's the part that that I give back to people all the time is the mentoring opportunity. You know, there were people who spoke into my life uh, and saw things in me that I didn't see myself. I had a principal walk beside me one day and said, do you ever think about being the department chair? And I said, no, Arch, never have. (laughs) Well, you should. Mm. And I said, why is that? He goes, you just should. And they walked away. He was an incredible leader who developed so many leaders. Uh, in the district that I was in before, there were uh, four of us at the senior level of leadership that were all administrative interns through him, and his leadership tree is amazing. Why I chose that path is because it was the one where the doors kept opening. And I had the opportunity, I say, you know, I want to be an architect, and I want to be a professional baseball player, and, and an accountant, and a coach, and and a couple of years ago when I started doing leadership development with our administrators, I realized uh, in some question that we had that I actually was doing all those things. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe I was playing baseball professionally, but, but I was the architect of what we were doing inside of the school system, and I got the opportunity to design and build uh, on the design team that built new schools. And, and then I, as a chief business officer, I was the – you know, head accountant for the school district, and I was doing a ton of coaching of people. And when you look back and you see where you've been to where you are now, you can see that leadership journey and you can understand a little bit more about how you got to where you are. People are what inspired me along the way. But you know, what's interesting is that people spoke into your life, but you listened. And that's key because oftentimes people speak into our lives and we we don't you know, either we're fearful and we don't move in that direction, but you did, you listened. Um, So how would you describe your leadership style? You know, that's an interesting question, you know, and I think it comes back uh, a little bit to personality types, but I would describe myself as a collaborative leader who really desires to help people in the organization move forward. I see myself as really being a servant to the people around me. And in that, I mean that, that I serve the people that I lead. Coming into a new organization, I've had the opportunity to do things differently um, in the relationship side of things. And I believe that you can't move people forward if you don't have their ear and you don't have their heart. And so I've been working really hard over the past five weeks to develop that relationship so that I gain their ear and I capture their heart. Okay, wonderful. So, Mike, which quote? quotes about leadership 
speaks to you and why? Yeah, that, that it was another great question because what's interesting is what pops in your mind is the things that you're focused on right now. And I don't know that this is a quote, but it's the title of a book from Simon Sinek that says, Leaders Eat Last. Mm. I haven't read the book. I'm reading his other book that we'll talk about here in a little bit. But Leaders Eat Last was, I mean, it just gives you that concept of, of back to that servant piece of, you know, I need to put other people in front of me. Another one that, of course, is a premise of the Maxwell uh, philosophy of leadership is that everything rises and falls on leadership. And when you take those, you know, what are there, five or six words there, everything rises and falls on leadership, you can begin to look at things uh, through a leadership lens and you can see where if there was more leadership in a particular area, it would have taken that instance further. You know, mm-hmm. and then the other one that I um, always hold as a premise is, is another Maxwell quote, which is, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. You know, when I work with people who are in different parts of the organization and trying to help them, you know, see the bigger picture of what's involved, you know, they they say, well, I, you know, I don't have a title. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not the chief business officer. And I said, no, um, you're exactly right, you're not. But you have influence where you are right now. And people understanding that they have influence. And uh, we always think of influence in a positive way, but there's some people who have a negative influence. And and so those couple are really uh, things that become a part of me. But the one that really spoke to me recently uh, is, without hope in the future, we lack power in the present. Wow. Without hope in the future, we lack power in the present. And with that was like, okay, if, if we can't, from an educational standpoint, give kids hope, there's opportunities for them beyond their current circumstances, we have no power to teach them every day in the classroom. And so that's, you know, the one I think when you boil it all down, the one that really is speaking to me right now that I'm spending a lot subconscious and conscious time thinking about, about how do I create hope. You know, Mike, um, all the quotes that you mentioned to me resonate as responsibility. Our responsibility as leaders, we, we're responsible to make sure everybody eats first, then we eat last, right? Everything rises and falls on leadership. And the fact that we need to be responsible to place hope in the future. So what type of leader are you inspired by and why? Well, I'm uh, inspired by two elements. One is servant leaders' attitude in their heart. And then the second one that I'm inspired is leaders with great vision. When I think about great vision, I think about how do they get to the to where they are as they're looking at the next steps of things that take place. So having this opportunity to be in a brand new organization after serving in an organization for almost 30 years gives me a whole fresh look at things. It also gave me the opportunity to to really sit down before I ever even applied for the position to have a conversation with the superintendent and, and find out what his heart was about. He has a very similar match, and that's what I think is important is that, that beliefs match. You know, we have different thoughts around how we get to the end part. Uh, but his heart and then his vision about what he wants to accomplish and to hear a person talk about 
the legacy that they want to leave is that a kid's education isn't determined by the zip code of where they live. You know, that gives you the heart and that gives you the vision about how do you create equity across a uh, large school system to make that happen. You know, when I think about what is great vision, it's seeing things as they could be. And, and one of the things I like to think about sometimes is, you know, we we hear presidents speak and, um, you know, John F. Kennedy is, is one who was very short time as a president but gave us great vision. You know, mm-hmm. he said, I want to put a man on the moon in this decade, and we did. He set it out there, and, and we figured out how to do it. And when you have great vision, then the how things come uh, behind it and the what comes behind it. But if he had never said, I want to put a man on the moon in this decade, who knows if we had ever been able to, to do that. You know, Mike, can you speak a little bit about this um, great vision or having vision as a leader? Because I've come across some leaders who have vision, but they don't pull people alongside with them. Can you speak a little bit about that? I think that when you when someone shares a great vision about what they want, Mm-hmm. That that vision, of course, has to go beyond them. And so we use the example of, of Kennedy here as, I want to put a man on the moon in this decade. That's a short little sentence. Right. There was inspiration behind that that got people excited. And, and that's a part, I think, when sometimes leaders project a great vision, but they can't pull the people around them because they can't inspire them. And and the inspiration part is the why about um, how and what we do, and mm-hmm. um, you know I think that that when you look at some leaders that have a great vision, that if they don't have the relationship pieces either, people aren't going to come around it. And mm-hmm. we want 100% of our kids to graduate within four years of high school. Okay. And people would say you're crazy; that'll never happen. Mm-hmm. But if you have the relationship with people and say how can you contribute to helping more of our kids graduate on time? You know, mm-hmm. then then that gives them a possibility. And so that vision creates some possibility thinking, but the conversations have to happen. The relationship has to be there. And mm-hmm. I think that as leaders, we have to go out to people and not expect them to come to us. And that speaks into our next question, which is what does it mean to have a good team? And how do you build one? Well, well good teams uh, means that you really have people who complement each other. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I like to use the example of a football team because most of us have seen that. But you have a quarterback on the team, and they're they're usually designated as a leader. But you don't need a full team of quarterbacks. You need to have the defensive players, the offensive players, the kickers, the punters, and they they complement each other in that process. And then there needs to be a unity around a common goal about what they're trying to achieve. I look at the honor that I've had on, you know, serving on a new team. And and as our leadership team is all coming together, the most experienced person on our team has three years in the organization. I'm the fourth senior person, and I've been there for five weeks. So. Right, right. And there's there's three more people who will be coming to our team here in the next uh, couple of months. Mm-hmm. And so how you build it really becomes about how do you form the relationships. Relationships not only have to be about the work, but about the people. The relationships among the team members is a part that's there. That In our organization, it, it is 
pretty siloed and just the structure of it and we talk about culture you know there's some things inside that, that we've got to work at changing the culture on a bit because the silos get created and it, um, you know there's some security systems in place where you can only get into this department by using your badge and a code and it opens the door and, mm-hmm. and all that for good intentions but what it does it creates a barrier for conversations so some of the feedback I have because being the new guy um, and knowing my leadership style is about collaboration. I just use my badge and walk on in and go back in and say, is so-and-so here? And they kind of give me a funny look, like, how'd you get in here? <laughs> but then I will go sit down and have a conversation with them. And, and so my behavior is creating the behavior with some of the other leaders. And the human resources person came to me with some things that we're working on, and, and we're having a conversation in my office. And she goes, I really appreciate the way that you're accepting of me coming in here and I said what do you mean mm-hmm. and she says I could have never got past the front desk in wow and I said well that explains a lot to me then about why some of the things are the way they are here um, and we just have to know and we have to demonstrate by our behavior that we're working together and it's not this department against that department uh, you know, it reminds me one time I started working at an organization that had the culture that you just explained. Um, everybody, it's not a relational situation. Everybody was in their own little cubicle. And I went in and I decided to put up a Keurig coffee machine. Everybody that came by looked at it really funny. And I said, come have a cup of coffee. Yeah. And soon enough, I met everybody. I offered coffee to everyone. I said, "Yes, this is available." And we had to we had the best conversations. Mhm. Mhm. And, and it's know. that balance between that sometimes people say when you do that with that you know, we're we're chatting too much, we're not getting the work done. And and my mm-hmm. focus is really, you know, the better the relationships are, the better the work atmosphere is, the more work that's going to be accomplished. You know, and if mm-hmm. if for some reason it becomes, you know, more than just a conversation for two or three minutes and it's, you know, 20 minutes, uh, you know, every hour where people are gathering around, that's that's a little different. But what you're talking right. about is, is culturally, what are, the, what are the things that you can do as a leader to change uh, that dynamic in a subtle way? Right. You know, so creating, bringing the coffee machine in is a is a symbol of there is a relationship that can be had around coffee and conversation. Yeah. So, Mike, tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life. Yeah. That, <laughs> when, I, when I read that question that you sent to me here uh-huh. earlier, I thought, wow, which challenge do I want to talk about? <laughs> You know what what I've what I've come to learn over time is that that I'm actually blessed to have these challenges because they develop character. You know, part of my story that really shapes my life is this activity I was talking about earlier about that brought out some truth and and that truth really is that everything shapes our life. And we can complain and bellyache about, you know, how bad we have it in one circumstance. And, and and when it really comes down to it, most of us really don't have it bad. I, I heard uh, people say, well, yeah, that's a first world problem um, that I didn't get lunch today or I was stuck in traffic, uh, whatever that happens to be. But here's what this person did. And I'd like for our listeners to do this with us because I think it's really powerful. And okay. This is an exercise that she did. 
with us, and it's it'll only take us a, a few minutes to do this, but okay. it was a, a thinking exercise on our leadership. Mm-hmm. And so what she had us do, and I'd, I suggest people do this now, is, is just get out a piece of paper and mm-hmm. uh, close your eyes for just a little bit and kind of take everything out of your, your head for a second and just kind of go blank, and then I want you to think back in your life when a person made a difference for you whatever that first person is, that first face that comes to your mind. So Mm -hmm. open up your eyes now and write that name down. And if you can remember what year that was, put that beside that person's name. So she called this the first stake Mm -hmm. in the sand, the first person that made a difference for you. And usually those are things that are more recent to us than what they were. So now I want you to close your eyes again and think back to another person before that who had influence on you, who made a difference. And again, as that face comes to your mind, write down that name and and whatever year that that happened to be, if you can remember the approximate time that it was. Mm -hmm. So now close your eyes again and think back to a time around uh, in your early 20s, maybe it's a person in college or maybe it's a person on a job that you had, um, and think about who that person was and, and how they influenced you. And as that person's face comes to your mind, write that name down. And the date. And maybe you even remember the words that were said. Now, Close your eyes again, and I want you to think back, all the way back, for many of us, all the way back to high school. Who was that person in your life in high school? Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was, you know, uh, an employer you had. Maybe it was somebody in your uh, church. Maybe it was a young life leader. Who was that person in high school that helped set the course of your life? If you see mm-hmm. that face, write that name down and and mm-hmm. uh, the time frame that it was. Mm-hmm. Now, as you look at that list, you see those four people that had influence in your life. You know, and if you were to look at it, were you on the same road all the time, or were you like I was, and you were off to the left a little bit? and they help course correct you along the way. Because the challenges that we have in our life, they become a piece of us. And so you asked the question about what that challenge was. And the challenge that I had in my life, I took it all the way back to this part that I spoke about earlier, about being the student body president in high school. The next year I was elected to be the student body president as well, but we moved, and we moved suddenly. There wasn't a chance for goodbyes. you know. And I think now in my role, I mean, what... Here I just didn't show up for the meeting because I lived now 2,000 miles away. <laughs> and there weren't, there weren't cell phones and they weren't uh, email and there wasn't any of that stuff. And I was angry for a long time about that. You know, it carried with me for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then as I went through this exercise that I just took you folks through was, was gave me an opportunity to see that each one of those instances in my life, that there was purpose behind it. 
Mm-hmm. Because as I look at it now, and my mom asked me here, it's been a year or so ago, that she asked this question. She said, so what about the time that we had to move suddenly? What did, what did that do to you? And I decided right then and there that there were more benefits out of it than there were challenges. Because the benefits were I would never have the three sons I have now because I would have never met my wife. I wouldn't probably be on the phone with you right now because I would have been on a different course. And so all of these things that we have in our life are there for a purpose, and it's how we respond to those that make a difference. And you'll notice I said how we respond, not how we react. Because respond is about, you know, moving forward in a positive direction. Reacting is just whatever happens. So I never thought I had a story until this person that I went through uh, while I was doing a superintendent's program took us through that leadership exercise we just did. And then when I look back at the people that influenced my life, I said, wow, Wow. There are some things that went on that at the time didn't seem like they were very good, but people made that happen. And and we can do the same thing for other people. We can be such positive speakers of life into people. And it doesn't take, if you were to look at those statements you wrote, if you say them back, they're less than 10 seconds probably. They didn't give us a paragraph. They gave us a sentence. And you think about how many sentences can I do every day and who can I be intentional about having influence and creating a better peace for them. And that's part of the challenges that shaped me was about how can I now take those things where people influence me and influence other people. So, Mike, you choose to see the benefits and the positive. Is that right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was younger, I yeah. wouldn't say I necessarily right. chose that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure our listeners should absolutely do this because I sat and I did everything. And what I realized was that in every challenge in my life, there were people to speak into my life. I think I'm going to sit down and really meditate on this. That's a great exercise. Well, thank you. Okay, so Mike, tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped you and the lives of those around you. I've had the opportunity in my career to be involved in some amazing projects from a business side of things and schools that allows you to to build schools and been part of the, the whole process and led of building two new high schools and a couple of elementary schools and passing bond issues and all those would would be things that People would say this is the success that Mike had in his career. But you know Mm -hmm. what my greatest success really is, is from my standpoint, is is really about developing a leadership program after I got involved with the John Maxwell team. And we developed a program for our administrators. And Mm -hmm. it was the first of of a kind where we actually used the mastermind process with leaders uh, from all aspects of the school district, principals and curriculum folks, people from maintenance and operations, transportation, child nutrition, all of those people sitting around a table having a conversation about leadership. And what mm-hmm. I learned from that opportunity was that the issues are dressed up different, but they're mm-hmm. still the same issues. And so mm-hmm. whether it's a person who has an attendance problem at work is the same issue that a principal is dealing with with an attendance problem with a kid, and it comes down to what motivates them. Why are Mm -hmm. they here? And so we did a a three-year program, 
it was outside of the school day. We had one group that met at 6 o'clock on Monday morning, consistent for three years. They weren't getting paid to be there. They were showing up because of the value of it from the content they were learning, but also what they were learning from the conversations that happened around the table. And to me, that was the greatest success. That was the legacy that, that I was able to leave with that organization when I stepped away a year ago was that the team was prepared mm -hmm. from a philosophical, from a belief side of things that they were capable to do whatever that next challenge was along the way. And that, to me, was uh, the greatest success that I've had in my career so far. So, you know, you and I think the same in that it's important to develop leaders, to develop that social-emotional component, right? I mean, this is why you have the mastermind groups. This is why I think we're both part of John Maxwell. Tell us about why that's important. You've been in education quite a while. You've gone up the ranks to one of the highest positions, which is the superintendent. In this, within a school district. But why is developing leadership the way that you do so important? That's a great question because I think that, that when we look at the people in our organizations, there are some who naturally step forward as leaders, and, and those are usually great people. It's developing, though, those talents and skills that are undiscovered right now inside of them. And I'm on a listening tour right now with our principals. So I just schedule half an hour with them. And, and part of it is for me to get to know them, and part of it is for them to get to know me. But I ask them three questions. And those three questions really get to the heart about why they do what they do. And that will help me then in that next level of how do we develop them to be even greater than what they are right now. And I do that because of the kids they serve, the challenges that kids have you know, in our world today. And and we're the seventh most diverse community in the U.S., and some of our kids are refugees. Some of them right. have no educational experience. And so I'm right. learning this from these people. But my three questions are, what gets you up in the morning? What's your passion about coming to work every day? And, and it's amazing the different answers that I get. The second mm. question is, what are the two challenges? I said there's lots of challenges. I just want to know what your top two challenges are in the work that you do. And, and again, the answers are, are never the same. And then my third question for them is, if you had the magic wand, what would you change? And so far in all of those conversations that I've had, everybody is focused on the future, creating mm -hmm. something that is better than what it is now. And I think that when you look at why do we want to develop leaders is that we want to create a system or we want to create a community that's better than what it is right now. And that's, you know, giving kids hope and giving kids the opportunities that uh, they need to be successful. And that's, that's the heart about why I do what I do. Well, Mike, these are great questions. I may steal some of them. You certainly can. So, Mike, what would you tell a brand new leader who's a bit discouraged about their working environment, their culture, their climate? They're coming in brand new they're excited, and then it just doesn't go their way. What would you tell them? Well, as I was doing my listening tour, I ran into a person like that who was, they were actually a veteran leader, but they were new to uh, their school recently, and so they had a lot of negative people or people who were stuck 
as I observed her answering those questions I just said, what what I began to realize is that even though, you know, she said it's the hardest year I've ever had in my career, and as I was listening to her, she still had hope about what it could be. Mm-hmm. And and I think that when you as a as a new leader in an area where the climate is different, you have the power to influence the people who are closest to you. Mm-hmm. And you have to come in every day, and you have to sometimes stand outside the door for a second and go, okay, i got to get myself up. i got to be ready to enter the game. i got to be ready to enter the lion's den or whatever metaphor you want to use. Uh, but you got to display confidence in what you do, and you've got to build relationships. People have to know that you care, and they have to know you care about them. And the only way you do that is through what we were talking about earlier, about having those conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, the culture of an organization, doesn't matter what it is, is about the language that's used, the symbols that are there, and it's the actions of the leaders. And so you think about the language, and so I was talking earlier about how we're more siloed. They actually use this word, your division. This is my Ooh. division. This is your division. And when I hear that, I, I interesting. No, no wonder people yeah. don't want to come <laughs> into a particular area. It's, it's about division. So right. I've been very intentional about saying, our team, your team, how can we help? So if you're new in leadership, it's about finding who are those people where you can establish a relationship. You can't build it with everybody. And so if you have the negative people in that group, you still need to try and build relationships with them, but don't invest a ton of time with them. Invest your time with the people who are the most positive and start Mm -hmm. moving those people to a more positive. They will then begin to radiate around them, and you'll pull people in. And it might take a year, but this woman I was talking with, the principal, she said, you know what, I had 11 new hires this year. I said, well, there you go. You have been able to get the people that aren't going through program to leave. You've got 11 new people now that can come in and do it Patty's way. And that's the part that it takes time. I've been fortunate in my career that I haven't had uh, many of these situations where it's just really, really a tough climate and culture. But having that confidence and building the relationships you know, yesterday afternoon I was meeting with our superintendent, and, and he just said, Mike, I want to thank you for starting to change in the culture. And I said, tell me what you mean. And he says, people are talking about how you actually go out and see them and how you talk about them and how you care about them and how you know their name. And so as a new leader, to close this question out, um, you know, as a new leader, getting to know the names of your people are so important. So when I came into this position, I think there's 28 people in my office space that I see every day. I have more people in other locations that are part of my team. But I told them, I said, you know, at the end of the week, within these five days, I will know every one of your names, and I will know what you do, or at least a piece of what you do. And on Friday, we're going to gather back around here, because they did this little welcome thing for me. And on Friday, we gather back around here. We're going to quiz me and see if I can do it all. And I was telling my wife about this, and she says, wow, that's that's a pretty big challenge. I said, yeah, I can do it. It was Thursday, and she goes, do you know them all? And I started going through it all, and there were two that had been gone. One was on vacation. One was out sick for a couple of days. I go, God, I know where they are, 
I know what they do, but I don't know their name. So what did I do Friday morning? I went right to them and hoped I could find them. Now everybody's got a little name tag outside their little cubicle area. But I went right to them and I had the conversation because what I realized is I had not had a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. So then Friday afternoon, I knew I had it and was able to go around and do that. And it was important. The other thing that I do is that every time I see them, I don't just say hi. I say, hi, Lily, how are you doing today? And so the sound of your name Makes it's it pleasing to me, yes. And so that's, that's, right. that's really important. Uh, so that's how you work on changing the culture is, is being able to, to build those relationships. So you know, Mike, this principle that you spoke of is very blessed to have you as her leader, as her mentor, as her coach. Um, but oftentimes that's not the case. So what would you say about how important is it for new leaders to have coaches, even if it's not within the organization? I think that it's really um, an important element in regards to having somebody that will ask you some of the the questions that are going to help move you forward. Mm-hmm. And in that coaching relationship is you know being able to have the ability to have an honest conversation. There are things oftentimes that you have as a leader that you can't say to the people around you because that confidence issue that I talked about, you go in with confidence and you display the confidence. But if you ask the question in your group about, you know, I'm not really feeling like I'm sure this is the direction we need to go and you're the new person, it may not work out for you well that way. And so having someone else who can coach you in a way that can move you in that direction. So there's other ways to say, I'm not really sure we should be going down this road. Mm -hmm. There are other ways that you can then ask those questions. And if you have a coach, they will help you form that, saying, so what's another way you could say that you don't think we should move down that road? You know, and and you might come up with a different answer. And a coach is going to help you in that regard. You know, I have had formal coaches during my career. I've had... Um, you know, lots of informal coaches, people that I know and trust, and that takes time to build. And so when you're new to an organization, who outside of that organization can help you create the capacity mm-hmm. to move forward? That's extremely valuable. So, um, Mike, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. So what does that mean to you, and what are you learning now? It's an interesting question because being a lifelong learner to me, it means that you have a curiosity mindset, that you're always in that mindset of asking the whys and the hows and why not in a why the heck did you do this, the why and, and that curiosity part of things. Well, why does this work this way? I think that part of it is in that lifelong learner mindset is there's a point in time where you know that you need to know more mm-hmm. and you know that what I can share with others they can build upon and I know the things that I don't know. And mm-hmm. being in this brand new organization, well, I was waiting for the superintendent yesterday, one of the secretary's administrative assistants said, so what are you learning, Mike? And I thought, well, what a great question for uh-huh. assistant. I said, I, and I, what I told her is that I, I know a lot of things, but I know there's a lot of things I don't know. She said, well, that's going to help you. And I said, I, yeah, I know it will help me because I know there are a lot of things I don't know and i got to figure it out. Having that lifelong learner mindset and being curious is really important. And, you know, what am I learning now is 
really almost mind-boggling to sit back and think about because I'm learning people, I'm learning the structures of an organization, I'm learning how the systems work formally and how they really work informally, and who are the people uh, within the organization that are uh, key influencers. There are some influencers mm-hmm. that are people that don't carry a big title, or but they have huge influence in the group. And, and uh, you know, one of the first people you meet when you come into the Kent School District is a lady by the name of Brenda, who's the receptionist. She mm-hmm. is one of the most influential people in the school district. She's an amazing person. To me, I always say that that person's the face of the organization, the first person you meet when you come into the organization. And we couldn't have a better person there. And yet, as we look at that part about how do you learn that is by observation. I do a lot Mm -hmm. of listening. I do a lot of learning. And that's where I believe then you can begin to start leading. You know, you mentioned curiosity. And I think your curiosity about people helps them to feel, or I know I would feel very valued by you. You know, you you bring up a a great point, and and I think that it's valuing everybody in the organization. So the way our system works is we have a building custodian. He's a person who comes from, you know, another country. His English isn't great. Boy, what a heart this man has. So the other day I just saw him brushing cobwebs out from the eaves of the building, you know. Mm -hmm. And I said, when I run into him today, I'm going to thank him for that. can't believe the smile on his face. Wow, that's cool. You know, somebody would recognize that. And I think that as a leader, that has to happen. Now, I don't consciously say I'm going to recognize him in front of this group, but there were other people around when I was thanking him for that. And then my administrative assistant said, that's amazing. Nobody has ever said that to any of us before. Wow. And and so back to the culture things that you change, if you value people, you're Mm -hmm. going to build, um, you know, that culture faster and you're you're going to build it in a way that people are going to be connected to you. That's great. So, Mike, tell us what you've read that our listeners should read and why. On this uh, leadership journey that we've been on since I started as a founding member of the John Maxwell team is I've read more books in that five-plus-year period of time than I ever have in my whole life. Testament, first of all, to the program, but also to the learning desire that was created through this. The book I'm reading right now is Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. Mm -hmm. And it's an amazing book about flipping our thinking to starting with our purpose of why. And one of the statements that he makes is something along the lines of, great leaders all have one thing in common. They know the why and that leads to the how and the what. And he talks about Steve Jobs and Apple and how it's different from other computer companies. He talks about what he calls the golden circle. And the golden circle being at the center is the why. Then it moves to the how and then the what. And what he says is that most of us start with the what, do the how, but we never know the why of what we do. And what he says is that great leaders start with why. His example that he uses, too, is Martin Luther King. He says in there, how how does Martin Luther King have such influence? And tells his story throughout different chapters of this book. He said that Martin Luther King Jr. didn't start with, I have a plan to 
bring about a civil rights um, and equity in the United States. She did have a plan, but he said, I have a dream. And so the language that he uses is so different. Well, in this book, he also says that that a great leader like Martin Luther King has to have other great leaders around them that can do the how and the what. And that was an interesting piece that I learned here in this last few uh, few weeks as I was reading this was that, that Martin Luther King knew the why, and he could communicate and inspire people with the why, but he had another person who would come on stage afterwards, and he would tell them the how and the what that he wanted people to do. And so great leaders can define the why, and they can explain the why, and they can inspire us, and then there needs to be other people around that can do the what and the how. Another book that I'm in the midst of reading, I read books in parallel, which is probably why I don't ever get to the end of them very quickly, but <laughs> Maxwell's Develop the Leaders Around You is getting me back grounded into some of the principles around how do you develop the people around you. And so there's some great tools in that book that gives you some perspective and some ideas about how to develop people to help you do the work that you're called to do. Well, these books seem to complement each other. Um, As you're speaking about the why, it takes me back to those three questions that you asked at the beginning. What gets you up in the morning? Why do you get up in the morning? That passion that you're looking into. So um, thank you so much for this. So what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities that you have? I believe that, that all of us need to have disciplines in our life. You know, not routines, but disciplines in our life. And with that, I'm a person of faith, and so I I get up every morning. My wife says I have the same routine, and I do. You know, I get up in the morning, and I have a few exercises I do, and and shower, and and then I come into my office, and I I actually have the John Maxwell Leadership Bible, and I follow Mm -hmm. through a different section in there where I read the scripture that's there, and then there's usually some reflection piece that, that happens, and uh, with some statements that John has around a particular thing, and then I have my own reflection that I do with that. So it, it keeps me grounded in my faith about the difference that I'm called to make in the world. And so that's the first thing that I do every day before I head out to work. The other thing that I do when I get to work is that I use what I call a priorities list. Oftentimes people talk about managing time. I believe you manage to your priorities. And if you can create a list of what your priorities are for the day, and if you're a to-do list maker, write your to-dos, and then say to that, what am I required to do today that nobody can or should do for me? Those should get some mark on your list, an A or a B or however you're going to do it. And then looking at that list and looking at what's going to give me my biggest return on my time, you know, because there's a lot of good things to be done. You know, I can go to a million meetings every day, but I have to pick and choose where the return on my time is. Now, there's some that I'm required to be at. There are others that give me bigger return on my time investment. And then the third area to think about as you look at how you manage your priorities is where's my biggest reward. Now, I've identified three priorities for my entry plan into what I'm doing. We have a budget that is um, in process right now that has Mm -hmm. some challenges to it. The second one is we have to pass a bond issue in November, so I have that as part of my responsibilities. And then my third priority is around people. 
So I have at the top of my sheet every day is people, budgets, bonds. Um, and then I look at my list and say, okay, am I doing stuff with people today? Am mm-hmm. I intentional about it? Am I doing something that's related to uh, the bond issue? And if there isn't, then I have to ask myself, then if that's a priority, why isn't this on my list today? Then I'm saying, okay, I'm not managing to my priorities. I need to I need to stop for a second and say, what in the budget piece do I need to be focused on today? And so that's you know how I start each day. And then I end each day with some reflections, not about what did I do, but what did I accomplish? And so I go back to my priorities. I look at my list. I visited with three principals, and I learned these things. And so that's a little reflection is your own accountability. But what I think it also does then is it, it ingrains in your mind a little bit more about what you did. It's pretty clear that people are a priority for you. And just in investing your time with us speaks to that. So I'm very thankful. We only have two more questions. Give us some advice about um, maintaining balance in one's life. Well, I think the first thing I'll tell you is that you can't maintain balance. <laughs> okay. When you look at time, if you're really trying to create a balance, and you do put in those long hours. So what I have to do is be intentional about my time. And so I think that part of our challenge as leaders all the time is that if we're thinking about I need balance, that takes us away from our focus about what we need to do. You know, I have three adult sons. None of them are in the education world. And I make sure that when we have time together that we have some conversation about how things are going in their life. Being able to listen is is important about bringing that balance. You know, Mm -hmm. our health is another thing that is important. And how do you find that time to get out and and walk or exercise? Mm -hmm. So each of us have so much uh, time during the day. There's some things that that I utilize that's helpful, just the online calendar from a scheduling standpoint as well. Here's a thing that I would say that oftentimes when I watch other leaders around me, they book themselves solid. They don't give themselves any white space in the calendar. When you do that, you end up chasing yourself for a while. You get to the end of the day and now you have 12 things to do uh, from all the meetings and everything you've been in. You're not at your best state to be able to sit down and to say, okay, we need to get these things accomplished. What I ask my administrative assistant to do when I'm out of the office, give me a half an hour of white space when I come back so that I can take back the things that I've done or learned or things I committed to do for somebody that I can actually sit down and do those. When I'm in the office, I need at least 15 minutes between meetings. Mm-hmm. So here's an Ed DaCosta thing that I learned. Tell people at 10.15 and at 10.45, don't use 10 o'clock and 10.30. We don't have to start a meeting at 10. We can start the meeting at 10.15. That helps you build in that white space in your calendar to actually come back and do the work. In the way that I do that allows me to stay up on emails too. Mm-hmm. I do find that email is a time sucker. And so having a strategy about how to deal with email is really important. I don't open email and I don't turn on my computer until after I've written that list out. I'm not disciplined enough in my mental state to be able to say, oh, I'll just wait until I finish my to-do list before I see what the boss has to say. Um, So managing that email is, uh, I think, one of the biggest challenges of maintaining some balance in 
and your work mm-hmm. life and setting those priorities. Mike, you mentioned Ed DaCosta. Ed DaCosta um, is one of our mentors in the uh, John Maxwell team, and and Ed has a focus around sales and Mm -hmm. marketing of your Maxwell program. So I never thought I needed to listen to Ed because, you know, what sales have to do with education is what my mindset was. Right. I listened, and I said, holy cow, this (laughs) is what we do every single day. And so in education, we're always selling, selling an idea or selling a concept or you're trying to work with a parent on a particular issue with their kid or a staff member and then you you look at his philosophy around selling is about finding out what the situation is what the problem is that needs to be addressed what insights can you gain and what solutions can you provide. So I love listening to Ed now in the Maxwell team. I usually listen to them on a recording, and that's, I guess, the beauty, Lily, of your podcast here, too. People probably have the opportunity to go back and listen. Thank you so much for that. And we've come to the last question. If you were to go back in time, Mike, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? This is a great question. And I think the advice I would give the younger me, you know, I remember my first interview for a assistant principal position. And the story with this, my youngest son had been born the day before. So I have this interview at like 5 o'clock in the evening or something, and it's like 40 miles from my house. And I have to take my son and my wife home. You know, he got this new baby, and I have two other little guys, and then I just have to leave and say, I got to go to this interview. Well, I get lost. This is before GPSs and cell phones and all that stuff. And um, and I have this map book in my vehicle, and so I I pull this map book out, and I'm just you know I haven't had a whole lot of sleep. I'm looking at this thing, and I'm trying to figure out where I'm going, and in my head is, oh, just turn around and go home. This doesn't matter. Uh, uh-huh. But in my heart was that this is something that you've been called to do. This is something that you want to do. And so I just said a short little prayer, and then it was like a light turned on, and here's the the uh, spot on the map where I'm supposed to go, and I'm like three blocks from where I'm supposed to be. With that, advice is don't quit on yourself. Because hmm. I had the opportunity right there to quit because things seemed so big, and I had so many things going on. Hmm. The ironic thing was is I'd probably had 10, 12 interviews and had been told no 10 or 12 different times. That was the one where they said yes, and that's what started me on the journey that I've been on. Well, well, Mike, I I want to thank you so much for adding value, not just to me, but to our listeners. You're quite welcome. Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to our website at masterleadership.org to get show notes for this episode and to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of our exceptional educational leadership coaches that are featured on this podcast. Until next time. Bye.